The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And Jay Lunn, Director of the Watershed Sciences Center at UC Davis. Uh, yeah, Center for Watershed Sciences okay. at the University of California, Davis. I was clo- At least I'm closer than I usually am. So, Jay, thank you very much for uh, coming today and talking with us. We wanted to obviously chat about water. Uh, it's been on everybody's mind, certainly my mind, and I'm driving across the uh, Yolo Bypass now about three times a day. Yesterday I went up to Woodland and on five drove, you know, up there, drove across that up there, and it was like being uh, like an article on your sites in an inland sea. Right. Um, but I had a couple questions. It's uh, uh, three miles wide, I understand, the Yolo Bypass. It goes 40 miles long. Uh, would all that water be in Sacramento's backyard if we, you know, didn't have that? Uh, enough of it would be. Uh, uh-huh. Originally, you know, before there were cities and, and agriculture in the Central Valley, uh, almost every winter the, the Central Valley would flood. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, basically from, from foothills to foothills. And uh, it would dry out. And, and so if, if you look at the geology of the place, that's how mm-hmm. it was formed. When we came in and settled it, uh, we put up levees, we put in cities, we mm-hmm. put up agriculture and levees. Uh, and in the 1800s, they found that they had trouble containing these floods in the winter. Uh, the people that came here uh, came from back east, and they weren't used to flooding in the winter. They had, uh-huh, summer yeah. was their wet season. For They're used flood. to freezing in the winter, I guess. That's right. That's right. And, and so here we were in California with this wonderful long growing season, these wonderful soils and, yeah. and huge flat areas of land, uh, but no solar desalinated seawater falling out of the sky in the summertime to irrigate and, and then our floods in the winter. So mm-hmm. um, they had to learn how to do irrigation systems and how to do uh, flood control systems coming from a society that didn't have those kind of institutions. And mm-hmm. so it took us decades to do that. There's some very nice books. Uh, Robert Kelly's Battling the Inland Sea mm-hmm. uh, is a wonderful history of, the, of flood control. Has, has the floodplain ever not been adequate enough? Uh, have we had problems with, maybe that's not the, or the bypass, is it, has it ever reached a capacity? So so far we haven't. The, the bypasses in the Sacramento Valley were built uh, in the early 18, early 1900s, uh-huh. uh, 19-teens, 1920s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were designed to take the, the flood of record that they had some records on, which was 1907, 1908. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they were designed to pass that without reservoirs. And then, so since then, in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, we built the very large reservoirs around the rim. And uh, so now we have a lot more flood control than we had back when this system was originally conceived. Uh, we also have a lot more people than were oh, yeah, conceived, sure. a lot more things that can be damaged, cities and, and, and people. That At the other damaged. end of the bypass, where does the, where does water all, where's it all going? Is it dispersed somehow? Does it go into It goes the, into the delta. Okay. At the north end in, in uh, north of Sherman Island. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then goes out, out to sea. And does that, uh, with the vast quantity of water that's in there now, I mean, does that cause a problem at their end when this? Uh, I can, yes. So if they have a high tide, if they have a special high tide yeah. and there's a special high flow, that combines to give you some flood problems in Rio Vista uh-huh. and, and some of the delta islands down there. It seems like over a period of years, there was, um, it, it seemed like a lot of reporters seemed to make 
a lot of trips into the Delta because one or more of a, you know, Brannon Track was one I think that stands out. Tyler Track I think was another one. There are all kinds of levy failures. It seemed like every year we're having levy well, failures. We probably have 60,000 or, or more, maybe 100,000 acres of land in the Delta that are uh -huh. below sea level. Oh, uh, once okay. it was diked and drained, the, the peat soils basically oxidized and, and subsided. And for, the Dutch have the similar kind of a problem. That's why the, the Dutch lands are below sea level. And there's a lot of peat out there in the, in right. the Delta. That's right, because it was formed uh, by sea level rise. Uh -huh. So as the sea level was rising, these marshes formed naturally. And the, as the marshes decayed and fell into the water, uh, as the sea level was rising, huh. it formed the soils. So, so basically the delta was a brackish swamp for most of the last 10,000 years, at least during the winter? Um, the, the delta was essentially the confluence of two rivers without being a marsh and without being a delta as we see it today up until 6,000 years ago. So 10,000 years ago, uh, at the beginning, end of the last ice age, what we call the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta uh, today was essentially outside the Golden Gate because the sea level really? was so lo low. And then as the sea level rose, that delta essentially moved up and inland until its present location about 6,000 years ago when it, when it drowned the confluence of the Sacramento and the San Joaquin Rivers. Um, okay. You know, there was a, uh, many years ago there was a reporter at the Associated Press, John Morgenthaler, who was a water writer uh, extraordinaire. I mean, he really loved this stuff. And um, he grew up in the area, and he said he remembered as a kid this would have been uh, during the 30s, I think, 30s and maybe 40s, uh, land in the Delta catching fire because of peat. Or yes. Because of uh, I've, I've read stories. There's a wonderful old uh, dissertation by a fellow named John Thompson in 1957 on the settlement of the Delta. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he talks in there about there being a, uh, a period of time when they would burn the soils, burn the peat to wow. kill pests of potatoes. They grew potatoes in order to kill the pests or periodically burn the soils. Uh, and then if you go to back to the Netherlands, uh, in, in medieval times, one of the ways they would keep houses warm was they would go out and yeah. cut up peat and, and burn it. Wow. Uh, it's hard to imagine now. I just think of the delta. I think of water, and but I don't think of anything combustible about that. I mean, well, it's a slow combustion, essentially, is what's going on at the oxidation of the soils that, that reduce that peat to carbon dioxide that goes into the air. It's yeah. one of the biggest sources of of carbon dioxide that has come off of California historically, really? the degradation of the, the peat soils wow. in the Delta. You know, um, another reason we want to talk to you is because uh, obviously all this attention on Oroville on the, the uh, fractured spillway and the emergency spillway and issues up there, but uh, it was just, for me, hard to imagine the Oroville Dam, this is something out of a science fiction movie, of having that uh, dam fail. I really don't know how close it was to that, but... Um, the no, what, what do you think would happen? I mean, if actually, if the dam failed, what how, what kind of experience would we have down here with that? Or how would that affect? What? Well, well, you know, in, in this case, the, the dam was was never and in, in, in is not at risk of failing <clears throat> itself. Mm -hmm. What was at risk of failing, and, and still is at some risk of failing, uh, this wet season is uh, the spillways. Mm -hmm. So we have the major ways of getting water out of the dam um, have. The, the main spillway developed a hole in it, mm -hmm. and uh, as they were experimenting to see how much water they could still get out of that spillway, um, the water rose, uh, and then uh, Sunday or so ago, um, it overtopped and, and used the emergency spillway, and they found that the emergency spillway, which had never been used in the lifetime of the dam, and, and generally in, in reservoir operations, you try never to use the emergency spillway because that's 
it's the emergency spillway. Right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they found that it eroded faster than they were comfortable with, um, and so they evacuated the town, and they, they quickly increased the flows and the damaged concrete spillway to, um, to reduce the elevations and the dam so that the spillway, mm -hmm. emergency spillway, was no longer had water flowing over it. The main spillway, even though it was damaged, can still handle or it was handling the water, large amounts of water. Right, so so uh, when it was, uh, this is now, I think, February 7th, when they were running it at about 50,000 cubic feet per second, uh -huh. uh, which is uh, a little bit more than half of the water flowing in the Sacramento River right now, mm -hmm. which I think is about 80,000 cubic feet per second. Um, it developed uh, some disturbance that they saw in the flow, and then so they... They figured this this was not good, so they stopped it while they still had a, a fair bit of space left in the reservoir, uh, and they found a hole, a pretty sizable hole, mm -hmm. um, and they inspected it, and they looked at it, and they said, well, uh, we really have to get water out of this reservoir. Let's try to run it at 20,000 cubic feet per second, a pretty small amount for that spillway, um, and see if, it, if the damage is increasing. Um, and so they did that for a pulse of some hours, maybe a day, and then they stopped it again and took a look at it, and the hole had increased. And there's some really nice pictures of this, really frightening, nice frightening pictures yeah. of this, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that you can see. Um, and then they, they found that with the big storms coming in, they had to release water from there. So they, they upped it to, uh, so when they, when, they, when they released it for 20,000 CFS, the hole increased, but mm. it didn't increase as much to up, up head cutting is what they're worried about, of it, of it cutting underneath the spillway, moving up towards the gates. Because what the last thing you want to have is to have it cut up towards the gates, and then you have a, an uncontrolled spillway at a pretty low elevation. Sure. Yeah. So, um, is the water that's coming down? I mean, the, is the reason the hole is getting bigger that uh, the water it coming? It's just erodes. Okay. So I mean, it's the water itself. The water action. It's right. just that's okay. right. I mean, there's. Uh, I, I did the calculation last night. There was uh, at fifty thousand cfs, which is about what they're running now. It's uh, three point four million pounds of water a second. Wow! Oh, down really, three point four million. This this is raw nature, in in its in all of its glory and and frightening glory uh -huh. that 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 they're having to deal with up there, um, and so they 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 found that they wanted to to release it at fifty thousand cfs, um, and that wasn't quite enough to pass that storm, that caused mm -hmm. the, the emergency spillway to overtop, and uh, it caused a really what should have been a fairly modest flow. Of uh, maybe uh, eight to twelve thousand cfs over the emergency uh -huh. spillway, and that caused a lot more erosion than they were comfortable with. So they quickly uh, upped that flow to um, hundred thousand cubic feet per second, which is still a third less than um, what they released the nineteen the peak that they've ever released down there, which was in nineteen ninety seven, which is one hundred fifty thousand cfs. The acting director uh, at DWR was saying. Um, this is a few days, that's three or four days now. He, he said that he estimated it's about two and a half million acre feet uh, of water captured up in the, in, the snow, uh, up in the snow. And so one question that arose was, uh, depending on the weather, obviously, but depending on whether it warms up or cools down, the warmer more comes down, and uh, he anticipated they'd be able to handle that. But there is a question about how much of that water will be coming down and when. Yeah, so, so we're going to be... Uh, looking at this for another several months. Uh, we have mm -hmm. two months of the rainy season left still. Mm -hmm. So we, or if we get a big 1997 type of storm, we would have, we'll, we'll be very worried about, I, I think, uh, 
should be worried about uh, evacuating Oroville again, things mm -hmm. like that, if you get a big storm and, and it looks like we'll run out of reservoir space. Um, if that erosion in the concrete spillway were to start up again, mm -hmm. there's still you know, a thousand feet or so of, of concrete spillway left, So, but if that starts to get eaten away, um, mm -hmm. then they need to be very careful about that and perhaps start evacuating people again. Does this start, uh, start or re restart the debate on over dams and reservoirs, we, I mean, we get a lot of that policy-wise in the capital. That's always an issue, uh, new reservoir construction, new surface stor storage versus, or along with ground, uh, you know, groundwater storage, increasing that. Um, uh, it, 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 does this renew the policy debate over reservoirs and dams in some way? or I, I think uh, the policy debate on reservoirs and dams and water in general in California is has been eternal and, and is eternal. I mean, mm -hmm. This is a dry state with a large population, a huge economy, a very large agricultural sector, and we're, we're well off enough and we have enough uh, unique is ecosystems that we want to keep them around. So mm -hmm. we will never face a time uh, when we don't have water issues here. It's just a matter of how, how dangerous are they to public safety, mm -hmm. the economy, and the, and the fundamentals of the ecosystem. That's good. That's a full full employment act for reporters, right there. Yeah, and and for and my science. and and, <laughs> and for my students. So yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, this is a good place yeah. for us. Uh, so I, I think it, it will. This particular episode is is going to, as it should, mm -hmm. uh, bring attention to the infrastructure mm -hmm. and and the the flood safety. One of the there's a, there's a huge wide range of, of water issues we have to deal with in California. We have to do it every year, whether it's a drought year or a flood year, we have to worry about both of those, mm -hmm. uh, as well as a host of other water issues, uh, ecosystem management and, and rural health as well. But um, for this episode, I think we're going to have to, it, it really highlights that we do not have a consistent, sustainable funding model for flood control in the state. We've been relying an awful lot on uh, water bonds, mm -hmm. and right. that's just not a good way to have a, a rational, sustained, cost-effective program over mm -hmm. the long term. Mm -hmm. the, the water bonds have certainly been very helpful in, in improving the flood safety in many areas of the state and giving us a much better sense of what a flood plan should mm -hmm. look like. Yeah. But um, they can we, be a tough really, sell sometimes too. Well, I mean, it's got to be real money yeah. uh, to do these things, and, and uh, it was real money. You know, imagine. Uh, at, at the time when California built the bypass systems. Um, we were a poor state then. We were a poor country. Yet we found ways to build this huge infrastructure. Mm -hmm. yeah. With our economy <clears throat> today, uh, it seems unreasonable that we would not be able to find mm -hmm. the kind of money that it takes to sustain this infrastructure that we built when we were a much poorer country, a much poorer state. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes one of the, one of the issues with... Uh, <clears throat> infrastructure with improving them is in some parts of the state, at least Southern California where I grew up in San Diego, uh, you don't really think about it. It's it's one of those, it's sort of invisible. It's sort of behind a curtain somewhere. You turn on your tap, you get water, but you don't think about all the structures that bring it to you and the work that needs to be done and the purification and the delivery and the pumps and all that stuff. It's just, it's a hard, you get your Well, it's, are, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a saying in, in civil engineering that the most famous engineers are the people you've never heard of. <laughs> Because their their structures worked yeah. and they just worked and people don't think about it because it's working. Yeah. Um, there's another saying that I've heard that, uh, and I heard this from a Dutch uh, flood engineer that even in the Netherlands, every generation requires a threatening flood, <laughs> just to keep the profession and the politicians and the funding so everybody understands that you live in a flood-prone place. 
yeah, and you absolutely. don't get complacent. Yeah. And so I find in, in Waterfield, uh, one of the interesting aspects of it is you're always trying to navigate between complacency and panic. You don't want, <laughs> you don't want people to become complacent yeah. because that's not good for the long-term health of things. And it, it gives you a false sense of security. But you don't want people to panic because then you, you spend a lot of money doing things right. that really don't make sense. Right, yeah. and, and then you detract from the credibility of the whole enterprise. So we're always trying to steer, I think, rightly between complacency and panic. Uh, we've gotten a little bit too close, closer than I'd like to be to panic at yeah, times. Yeah. But there was a moment there, I think it was Sunday night, where yeah. I thought, uh-oh, is this really, ha I mean, I really seriously, you know. I mean, that, that, that's as yeah. close as I've seen to, to maybe a, a need for panic, yeah. But, yeah. but you don't really want to see panic, right, I think, right. even. Yeah. Um, and, but also we've seen it in drought when people sometimes think that this is the end of the world when it's not really. Yeah. One of the things I think that's really important is uh, to understand that California is a, does a terrible job at managing water, but if you look at it compared to any other place with a Mediterranean climate, we do an amazing job of, of managing water. And I think it's that lack of complacency that has always allowed us to, to make the most out of being in a pretty dry state. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that positive note, uh, Jay Lynn, thank you very much for appearing with us and You're chatting with us. And Tim Foster, thanks again. Uh, this is John Howard with Capital Weekly's podcast, and we will see you next time around. We won't see you, but you can listen to us next time around. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.